so again, um, Psalm 42 is at the core uh, a psalm for hard seasons. It really is. And I'm talking about those seasons when we, we find ourselves discouraged or struggling a bit to stay positive or to stay hopeful or to stay confident. Sometimes we may find our, our confidence suffering when things are not going as we had hoped. And this psalm has everything about it. I mean, it is a really honest psalm. It's raw. It's real. We're going to see how real it is. It's almost like uh, someone's, it's like throbbing with sincerity. And, and uh, at times, it, it, if, when we read it through, it almost has this kind of painful self-reflection. And it does something else. It's, it's compelling because this, and this Psalm, Psalm 42, along with its smaller companion, Psalm 43. And we're going to look at Psalm 43 next week and the second half of Psalm 42. We're just actually looking at the first five verses this, this, this afternoon. But as we do it, one of the things we'll be struck with is how, how unusual it is. Because in this psalm, something happens that is not common. He actually starts standing outside of himself and examining himself. He starts looking at how he's handling something. It's almost like he starts talking to his own soul. So there's a very interesting dynamic that takes place where you have someone who's actually assessing himself and he's not happy with how he's feeling at the same time he's trying to encourage himself. It's a very fascinating way in which he approaches his life with God. And I think it has a lot for us to glean from. And so the psalm itself, it just opens beautifully. I mean, it's poetic. Many of us have, have heard this verse before. Look, at, look with me at Psalm 42, verse 1. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. I love this verse. Um, I always have since the days of my youth. As a deer pants, yearns for the water brook, the flowing stream, so my soul longs for you, O God. It's a picture of someone who loves God, right? It, it reflects someone who's thirsting for more of God in their lives. It's the kind of follower of Jesus I would like to be, right? Someone who loves God and who has tried to pursue Him and and that is something that Jesus talked about when he said, blessed are you. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled, right? We're invited into that. And I ask even now, oh God, make me thirsty for you. Help me not to just go through the motions of following you, but let me really have a genuine love and hunger and thirst for your ways. Let your reality be something I yearn for. And as a standalone verse, this is fantastic. It works. Many times people quote this verse and they just kind of quote it and say, this is how we are to pursue God. And it's great and it works, it's fine. But when we look at the context, that is where, where, why it's actually being said, there's far more going on than maybe meets the eye. We actually see that even more than just extolling the virtue of maybe, you know, desiring more of God in our lives, it's actually a picture, and I want us to see this, of someone who is hurting, someone who is longing to be connected to something, in this case, he feels deprived of. And any of us who've ever felt deprived of something, wishing something that we've lost could be recovered, will be able to relate to this. If we're hurting over something that we've lost, if we feel that kind of pain, we'll be able to connect with how he's feeling and what he's saying. Because this psalm has a lot to do with loss and sadness, and it also has something to do with trusting God. Look at verse 2. He says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So again, the psalmist is wounded. His heart is hurting. Here's the, th here's the deal. For some reason, he couldn't go back to Jerusalem. 
most likely because it was dangerous. It's possible, many believe that if he had gone back, he probably could have been killed. So he feels like he can't go back. Couldn't go back to the tabernacle, the Lord's house, we would say church, the place where he, in his own way, felt like he had to be, to be able to worship the way he yearned to worship. It was a place that he had been accustomed to going to. It's also a place where he associates as the presence of God dwelling. So in his mind, that's where he has to be to really feel God's presence the way he's, he's always loved, and he feels disconnected from it. He's in the wilderness. That's pretty clear. When we read through the rest of the psalm, you'll see it. Most likely, based on the geographical details that he gives, he's on the other side of the Jordan River in the mountains of Moab, possibly with David, perhaps sitting by himself, writing, thinking, remembering. He gazes down the valley. He's um, lamenting his plight, longing for what, what once was. And then perhaps as he sat there at the close of the day, maybe at dusk, which I love that time of the day, he saw a deer, deer searching for a stream of water. If you've ever seen a deer in the wilderness, it's beautiful, graceful. They sometimes look for water at the end of the day. And the way they can move through so fast, um, so delicately, so, so quickly yet graceful, it's a beautiful thing to see. And a lot of times the deer are looking for water. They know where the water is. They're searching for the water brook. They're thirsty. And I think that part of him was thinking to himself as he's watching them search for that, the flowing streams, oh God, I miss you. I miss the joy of going to your house. I long for you. Like that deer thirst for water, I long for you. I long to go back to your house, oh Lord. Will I ever get to return to the place of your presence? You know, thirst is a powerful driver you ever really been, have you ever been, have you ever really been thirsty? I mean, not like kind of casually thirsty, but I mean really thirsty. Ah, man. I remember I was, um, I was backpacking in the Sierras about 15 years ago. And uh, I was uh, pushing hard for about 10 miles or so at a good pace. I had a heavy pack. It was hot, really hot. And at the time I was alone. And I had under, here's the thing. I had underestimated the distance to my final destination. I, I had done the trail before. I thought I was really close, but I wasn't as close as I thought I was. And I actually did something that I, that I hadn't really done before. It was so hot, I drank my, and I had tried to run as lean as I could weight-wise, and so I didn't bring enough water, and I ran out. I drank, I remember drinking my, but I thought to myself, oh, I'm almost there, I can just drink it down, because I was, I, I wasn't, I needed the water. Okay, I drink the water, and then I, all of a sudden, it, it, as I keep moving forward, I realize, man, I'm, I'm not doing so well. I, I started to break down a little bit. Just a little bit, I could tell. I was getting a little dizzy. It was hot. There was no water to pump anywhere. I knew the only water I had was where I, where I had left. I had left some there. And I needed to get back, but I ran out of water. And it was hard. And I remember, oh, one thing I remember, how good it felt when I finally got it. That was one thing. But I also remember, it, it made... Such a, it kind of scarred me to such a degree that I made a decision that I would never, never hike again. I would never pack again and, and get to my destination without having at least some amount of liquid in a bottle. I would never do it, ever. Even if I had to get drops along the way, I would end with something in my bottle, something in my, in my water jug, if you will, my platypus, whatever you want to call it, right? And you know what? I have done that. I've never... I never have arrived without having at least a little bit of water left because I refuse to drink it all until I get there. 
Now, there's a spiritual principle in there somewhere, okay? I'm just telling you. I'm, but I remember how thirsty I was and how good it felt to drink. And I think all of us have seen people in the movies or watching us. You know, you see how someone's, they're in a desert and they're, you know, their lips are parched. Their skin is like blistering. You know, they just need water. They're vultures circling. The sun is beating down. Uh, they're seeing mirages, you know, right? Water. I think of Jesus on the cross. You know, he, he has seven recorded sayings of Jesus on the cross. One of them is interesting because it's like it, he says in the middle of his suffering, he says, I thirst. And, and it's a powerful moment when you read it. And there was, he was, he, he was, you know, he's, his body is just totally thrashed, broken. There's no way to describe what had happened to him. He was so thirst, sun beating down, his lips dry. He's dying. I thirst. I thought of the humility of God that he would allow himself. Because you know, I thirst to me. You know, one of the reasons he's, I, I think one of the reasons we're given that statement, besides the fact that Jesus felt it, is I think it's actually the representative human cry. I think thirsting is the human cry. We thirst for something to fill us at the deepest levels. And in the end, they can't, it can't be filled in any other way but in God. But, I, but when we see that, I'm reminded of the humility of God and the willingness to be broken on our behalf and how he thirsted for us at, at a physical level so that you and I at a soul level may thirst no more. It's a beautiful gift. And I am, I am clear when I believe this that the Lord wants to meet us, listen, loved ones, in our dry and desperate places in, in life. Those dry and desperate places, he wants to meet us just like he wanted to meet the psalmist. Look what he says. He gets even more real. He says in verse 3, he says, Let's see if we can relate to this. Some of us may, some of us may at some point in our lives. Some of us may have people right now in our lives who we go, man, that's, that's how they feel. I can see it. My tears have been my food day and night, he says. Look at verse 3. Here, here is a man weeping as much as he's eating. I don't eat much. I just feel sad. I feel sad about my situation at different times of the day and in the evening. I get overwhelmed in that sadness. And you know what? Water fills my eyes. I, I'm so sad. And you know, I was thinking about this because that's how I felt a few years back at a patch of time. It was the first time I think ever in my life that I actually related to this psalm the way that I did. I, I remember how actually, and some of us may have had this happen to us, others may have not, but I remember how caught off guard I was by the force of my emotions. I, I was, uh, by the power of my feelings, how easily they were triggered, it, it actually shocked me. I wasn't used to it. I could be in the middle of journaling or praying and all of a sudden I could connect with something like a passage here in Psalm 42, which is why I'm sharing it right now. And I can remember writing it out as I was doing it. And I can remember, I can remember my eyes feeling with tears, right? And I remember how sometimes in conversations, because I was so emotionally raw at this particular time, I could be talking to someone and it would hit a nerve, like an emotional nerve. And all of a sudden, that nerve would hit. And then there it would show up right in there, right? I could feel it. 
everything I felt, part of it had to do with, I was sad about my circumstances. I was, I was feeling sorry for myself. That's the truth a little bit. Uh, felt deprived, felt disconnected from the place I loved, from the people I loved. Felt disenfranchised. Um, even and then on top of that, just being brutally honest, I felt even worse about the way I was handling it. Like somehow it was being kind of weak and pathetic. So on top of what I was actually experiencing, maybe some of us can relate, that's what's happening, by the way, with the psalmist. Not only am I feeling bad about what's happening to me, I'm feeling bad about the way I'm handling what's happening to me. It's doubly worse. Like I'm, you know, I felt I should be doing better. Perhaps some of us feel that way now, right now. Or maybe from time to time we have bouts of depression or sadness that hit us, overwhelm us, start to like cover us like a cloud. It just hovers. Maybe it's a situation in our lives that we have to deal with. It's hard. A condition that maybe will never go away. We've got to manage it. But it wears us down. Our limitations often taunt us. We feel them. Why can't it be like it used to be? Or a relationship that we had and loved and, and wanted and, and cared for. It's, it's gone. It, or we're having troubles in ways we never had. It's melting down before our eyes. We don't know what to do. We're sad about it. It's hard. We miss it. Whatever it is. You know, we are, and sometimes it's hard to explain, we're emotional beings as well as rational beings. So is God. Jesus wept. I love that Jesus wept. Not only is that the shortest verse and the easiest one to memorize, by the way, <laughs> John eleven thirty five, 35, but it's the first one I memorized as a boy in Sunday school, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept, right? But I, I, I think it tells us something about him. He's a man of sorrows, Isaiah says, acquainted with grief. God, okay, there are certain situations in life, like Pascal said, the philosopher, he said, you know, the heart has reasons that reason sometimes knows nothing of, right? The heart has its reasons which reason knows nothing of. There is truth in that. Some things we can't explain. Someone says, why are you feeling that way? I don't know, that's how I feel. I just that's how I feel. Oh, come on, you can get over that. I know, but it's hard. That's how I feel. Sometimes we don't want to feel the way we feel. I shouldn't feel this way. That's what's happening here. He's going, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Lord, help me. I should be doing better than this. I am better than this. I should be trusting you. And he's going back and forth. You watch. When we get here next week, he's going back and forth. I, this is, I'm so sad. This is hard. This is what's going on. I know I need to trust you, God. What's wrong with me? Come on. Straighten up. This is all this interplay going back and forth. You can do better. Put your faith into action, right? This is all happening right here. And sometimes what may not make sense to other people makes real sense to us. That's what I'm saying. And sometimes our... Our struggles are real, our hurt is real, our sadness is real, and it may not be reasonable, but it's real. It's real. And we may say, well, I don't know why I feel the way I feel, but I feel that way. But that's how we feel. Can't change that. Going to have to do something with it, though. Or it's going to get the best of us. Look what he says at the end of that third verse. Go back with me if you can. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Now, we were, we we're tempted to run past that phrase. What he's basically saying is this, you know what? I have people in my life who look at my situation and you know what they do? They wonder aloud. I hear them. I hear them. They whisper sometimes behind my back, sometimes to my face. 
You know what they say? They look at me and they say, he's forsaken. He's forsaken. He's abandoned by his God he's always talking about. Right? So what, what he's getting at here, this is where it's relatable. It's like he's saying, the people are saying to me, hey, this God thing of yours, how's it working out for you now? His vulnerability and susceptibility to their criticism only makes him more discouraged about his situation because he feels the subtle judgments and he feels the indictment against, oh, this, this, <laughs> have you looked at your life lately? And what's he supposed to say? See, he's struggling with that. It hurts him. It bothers him. Look what he says, verse 4. Look how really he gets. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. You know, I remember back how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. And in this verse, his mind drifts back to an earlier, happier time, which we are prone to do, all of us. He goes, there are times when I'm alone with my thoughts so that I remember the good things that used to be, the times when I would go with my friends, the multitudes joyfully during the festival days, ah, shouting and singing praises to God. Oh, I miss those days. I miss those happier times. And then it's almost like he catches himself and says, oh, cut it out. This is foolishness. You're only, you, come on, break out of this thing. And look what he says, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? What's wrong with you? Why are you beating yourself up? Look what he says. Why are you in turmoil within me? Now, look at that word, cast down, O my soul. The word cast down in the original Hebrew means to, uh, it's the same word that is used for when someone bows down. It means to bow down, to sink. It can even at times imply falling prostrate. It, it, it can mean collapsing under the weight of something. In his case, it was sorrow. It was collapsing under the weight of his sorrow. Why is your soul so collapsed within you? He's depressed. He's discouraged. But I can't shake this thing. It feels like it's too much to bear. Have we ever had something that was hard to bear? We don't know what to do because it hurts so bad. You know, I was thinking about a couple of films that I saw last year. You may have, or at least I, uh, I, I was impacted by an aspect of what they portrayed. And two of them were highly acclaimed. Um, they both had something in common. One of them was, was called Manchester by the Sea. The other one, Fences, Casey Affleck and Denzel Washington. And what both of them portrayed were, in this case, men in deep, deep pain. And each of them in different ways. Manchester, he, and again, not to go into all the details of it, but his pain is so incredibly devastating that a part of him has died. And he won't let it live. It's like he feels so guilty that he has sentenced himself to death emotionally. And he won't let himself feel anything that looks like love. It just, and we were, we were trying to listen. Come on, come on, come on. Nothing there. That's as far as I go. Fences, fascinating film as well, based on the play that was written. You see this man who's, who's bitter and angry, so tightly wound that he's built a fence around his heart. There's a literal fence. But there's also a figurative fence. And what do fences do? They keep things in. They keep things out. And he's all locked up. He's all locked up in regret and anger. 
can't love. And part of me was, after I come out of both those things, I turned to share with my wife, I said, man, what they need is Jesus. I mean, really, I meant it. Because I go, I've seen Jesus set people free. I've watched it with my own eyes. Not perfect, not without struggle, but I have seen it. I have seen it unlock things like deep guilt, deep hurt, deep wounds, deep things, deep regrets. And I've watched Jesus heal it to where it maybe never go, it never doesn't become a part of who we are. There will be something there. But it's a scar, not an open wound. And that's a, there's a big difference. One is a testimony of grace, in my opinion. And the other is a testimony of something that is never going to get better if it's so infected. The psalmist, hear me out, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to make sure his heart doesn't get infected. So he's struggling to take the stance that he knows he needs to take to get through this thing. Watch what he does, right? You can see it. He, he says, why am I so sad? Why am I so discouraged? What's wrong with me? He's addressing his soul as if it's a different person. Again, standing outside of himself, he's bothered that he can't shake the thing. He's not happy with the way he's re reacting to it. There's a few things here. One, he's frustrated and discouraged by the situation. That's clear. And we'll see it some more. If you read through the psalm, you'll see it. So he's bothered by the reality of this situation. For this thing that's happening, I'm deprived. I'm being criticized. You know, he's got other stuff he's going to list. Then he says, but I'm also discouraged by the way I'm handling the bad situation. <laughs> and then he's, like I said, frustrated by that. Come on, you should be doing better. And I've known that feeling. The song, you know what he was doing? He was overthinking. Oh, I have a saying that I often share here. I say it's not the act. I tell myself it too. It's not the act that gets us in the end. It's the react. What do I mean? It's not actually what's happening to us. It's how we're reacting to what's happening to us. The real issue, the real thing is won and lost right there. It's not what happens to us in life. That can be bad. It can be rough. It's how we react to it that really does the damage. But it's also where the opportunity is as well. Because this is where God can break things in and out of us. And this is where he can teach us how to trust him in ways that we have never been able to trust him before. This is where we get compensations in grace. <laughs> Certain things, I'm telling you, there is opportunity there as well. Look what, he's, look what he says. In, again, verse five, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? There's a difference between the word that is translated cast down, and look at that, and the word that we translate turmoil. The word turmoil, just stay with me. I know this for some people, this is a matter. Others of you go, oh, this is interesting. Turmoil, the original word in the Hebrew, if you were to look at it, literally means making a sound. It implies noise, like a hum, like a moan, like a murmur. And it can also be an uproar, like a boisterous thing within. It's, it's in, what it's capturing or attempting to capture is something that's churning inside of us, in our heart and in our mind, that we're so unsettled. That's what he's saying. And I can still remember as a young Christian, a younger Christian, reading this verse in the older version. And you'll see, I put it in the handout there on one column, but I also asked them if they could just put it up, where it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Notice the difference. Look how they translate that word. Why are you disquieted within me? They're taking the, they're going, again, presenting in a different way. 
By the way, we don't use that word much, disquieted. But that really does, hope in God, yet I will praise him for the help of his countenance. Disquieted, again, it, why is there so much noise inside of me? Like, why so troubled? Why so anxious? The, the opposite of calm and settled, so disturbed, so lacking in peace. And then he says, come on now, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, right? He's telling himself, let hope grip you, sell you, time to trust God. He's able to deliver. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Come on. That's what he's telling himself. So here's, that's, that's the capturing of his, his sort of angst. Here's what I would like us to take with us. Let's say this. One's the diagnosis, but here's, how to, here's the medicine for us, if we want it. Here it is. Well, first thing I was thinking about, based off what we just shared, again, these first five verses, pick up more later. In times of great anxiety and, and sadness, Let's not compound the problem with overthink. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying this, let's not try to solve how we're feeling. Some of us, this doesn't mean anything. For others of us, this is a huge thing to remember. It's like, don't start sitting in overjudgment of yourself. Um, don't start don't trying to, if I could say it, get stuck into the quagmire of mental loops. We start putting ourselves through this thing, going back and forth over it, over it. Should have done this. This why is this happening? You know why can't this get better? Just back and forth, just looping it all over. Got no peace. Got nothing. Just so troubled inside. I'm just keep talking to myself. It's so noisy in there. I, 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 this is what I'm talking about, right? We have to ask the Lord to give us a sound mind to quit fighting ourselves. Okay, Lord, help me not to fight like this. This is not good. I'm not, this connects to the next thought, which is this: there are times where, and this is going to sound like, what is that? But I think there are times when we're under extreme duress that we need to be more gentle on ourselves. That's what I'm suggesting. What I mean by that is, and I'm not saying give ourselves a free pass and just feel sorry for ourselves, which is easy to do. I'm not saying don't challenge ourselves to be better or more biblically aligned. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, we need to remember that when we are emotionally stretched like the psalmist is, we are capable of breaking if we push ourselves too hard, we can, we can actually compound the, the problem and set ourselves backwards. I was talking about this because sometimes you get an injury, physical injury, if you're exercising or something, or you, you pull something, or you, you, look, you can get an injury, and if we rush back too fast, and I've done this <laughs> foolishly, I was talking to my wife about it, I said, honey, you're going to you're gonna have to go back slowly because if you... Just based on my understanding, if you push too hard too fast, you'll, you'll actually, it looks like you're gaining, but you'll end up losing because you'll set yourself back. And, and I remember talking to someone recently who I care very much about, and I was watching her struggle. And she was, is a godly young woman, and I was watching her struggle and I, with her sort of her expectation and her feelings about some things. And I said, I said to her the same thing. I said, you know, you're an accomplisher. You're a doer. You solve things. I go, right now, you need to be more gentle on yourself. You mean, now, some people I say, you need to push yourself a little harder. But other times, there are some of us, we need to say, you know what? You need to be a little more gentle on yourself. What I mean by that is, there are times when we need to back off of ourselves for a time. And I'm going to say this. I know not everybody's going to... 
But there are times where we're going to have to let some things be unresolved for a time. But I want it solved, and I want it solved now. <laughs> I want it fixed now. I want it healed now. I want this past now. But maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe it's not going to be resolved now. And certainly not the way we want it. So then what? Maybe we have to be gentle and okay there. Maybe, and by the way, we never, we rarely can solve problems well at a high level of emotion, at a high emotional pitch. Sometimes the best thing we can do is ask the Lord to help us calm the internal waters and challenge the way we're thinking. I was reading earlier, actually, it was when I was coming to church after last evening when we shared. I went back home, I slept, and I came back to the early service, and I was thinking about this. And I, rem- I remembered uh, reading, a, and I actually went back and read it, read it again just for, the, just for the today. And I remember what happened with Jesus. I was thinking about how do I calm my waters inside of me? At evening came, Jesus said, is this from Mark 4? He said, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, a pillow. And the disciples woke him up and they started shouting at him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them a question I know he's asked me more than a few times. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? We need to invite the calmer of the storm into the storm. Why are you so afraid? Well, I'm afraid because there's this and this and the winds and the storm and the water and we're going to die. I'm here with you. I'm with you. Watch this, and the storm calms. He can calm us in the storm. He, that's what he does. But here's the thing, and put this up. It's going to require us to trust him. There is a need to trust the Lord positionally at all times, but especially when times are hard, you guys. Romans 8.28 reminds us that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Trusting him means letting go a bit, believing that he can be relied on to help us through anything that we must face. Okay, I'm going to give you one small last piece here. It's a little more intricate. This is what helped me. I, I have a, a writer that I've been reading devotionally. I have a couple of them. One of them is, a, is a, this man named Stanley Jones. He's, he was, in my opinion, the, the most significant missionary of the 20th century. That's my opinion. But what he wrote a lot about is thinking. And uh, he was a friend of Gandhi's, for example. And uh, a great Christian man, great Christian man. He said this, and it hit me because I was going through a particular, he said this, and I'll ask him if they could put it up here, look at it together. He says, remember that worry is a kind of atheism. A person who worries says, I cannot trust God. I'll take things into my own hands. The result, worry, frustration, incapacity to meet the dreaded thing when it does come. That's the result of that kind of thinking. And then he said this, and it hit me, I, I needed it. I, he said, with God, 
you can meet it. Whatever it is, you can meet it. You can overcome it. And then the phrase that I just got me and assimilated into the purpose of life. And I don't know, maybe it was just where I was at at the moment, but I remember reading through this when I was going through a trial, praying, Lord, help me to do this. Yes, this is what I need to do. I need to assimilate it. I'm fighting it too hard. I'm overthinking, worrying. I'm becoming fearful, anxious. And I started asking the Lord to help me be more creative and assimilate it into the purpose of my life. Can't change it. Can't change it. But I can, with God's help, turn it from a net negative into a net positive. Assimilate it to the purpose of your life. Wow, instead of fighting, accept and assimilate. Stop the straining, stop the complaining. Adjust, adapt, adjust, adapt. Trust God to bring good. Remember, what does worry say? What does worry say? God doesn't care. Faith says God does care, and he and I will be able to work it out together. We supply the willingness he supplies the power, and that combination with it, all things are possible. We supply the willingness. He supplies the power. With that combination, all things are possible. And lastly, I'll leave us with this. We must challenge ourselves to remain optimistic. Hope in, what does the psalmist say in verse 5 at the end? He says, I need to hope in God, for I shall again praise him. I shall again praise him. I know I will. Now, he's going to go back and forth again. This final statement, verse 5, it doesn't do the trick all the way. As we're going to see, he's going to drop back into why he should be feeling sorry for himself. But he's going to come back again and say, but I need to hope in God, right? And it reminds me that we are to be what Albert Barnes called a people. If we love Jesus and we know him, then we are to be a people of the brighter view. And everyone's invited into that place, by the way. We need to choose our focus. We can visit the dark side. I'm talking about emotionally. But we dare not linger there long. We are children of the light, called to love and be loved. That's how we live. Let's pray. All right. Lord, I thank you. I thank you because your words are good. Your words are life. Your words have value to us. I ask that as we engage this psalm, as we think about it, there might be certain things that might stand out that you might be wanting to speak to us. I don't know what it is. Perhaps there is a sorrow in our heart. Perhaps there's an area where we're really struggling. Maybe we are having a hard time trusting you. Help us to do this. Pray that there be a compounding sense of strength that would be released by your presence, by your spirit. You would be with us throughout this week. And that as we come back again around the bend, that we would just have these things settled into our heart. And even more, when we come back to embrace this word a second time around, that it would just have even more impact and power in our lives. Help us to think well and invite you into these places where we struggle the most. That is your promise. That is your gift. That is your love. That is your light. Being among us, we pray. Bless our closing time, the song that becomes our prayer, the song that we're about to engage together that is so connected to this idea of trusting you. Let, let whatever, if, if there are any issues in our own lives right now that we're, we're just wrestling through, let them just settle in as we, as we share in this closing moment. Bless this song. Bless this benediction. Bless our final time of giving right before it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.